This is good. We'll get the banter started so then we, we can get you back, jump back right into this after I do the boring part. Okay. Hello, Slavic Connection listeners. I'm your host, Colin, here with Nick Pierce. And today we spoke with Dr. Martin Kluse, a former member of the Slovak parliament and returning political scientist at the Bratislava University of Economics and Management. Nick, what did we talk about with Martin today? We talked about lots of interesting stuff, disinformation and Russian propaganda in, in Slovakia and the, the state of Slovak politics after the newest election. Major implications for Slovak foreign policy, which we all know as a neighbor of Ukraine is, is quite significant. Very fun episode to record, and I hope it's as fun for you all to listen to. It's not a typical Texas. You're listening to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies and the William P. Clement Center for National Security at the University of Texas at Austin. All right. Cool. Okay. Well, my name is Martin and I'm uh, from Slovakia. That used to be part of Czechoslovakia to make it clear because many people are asking me about Slovenia and Yugoslavia. <laughs> Actually, uh, I was a member of parliament for two terms, uh, altogether eight years national parliament and for two terms in the city parliament in my city, Banska Bystrica, which is fifth biggest city in Slovakia. That was also for two terms and, uh, Last uh, three weeks are very new for me because I'm uh, finally out of the politics. I was not re-elected this time. I'm quite happy with that because I'm coming back uh, to university. I'm uh, having my professor uh, job over there and I'm sure that people there are looking forward to hear also my practical uh, experiences after almost decade in uh, politics, uh, uh, not only theoretical one, which I had before. I started my public life as a political analyst uh, for Slovak uh, and uh, foreign media, especially European, but also uh, some Turkish, uh, Korean and some some more. But uh, then I entered politics and uh, my highest uh, political, if it comes to the ranking, uh, political ranking was uh, vice minister for foreign and European affairs. I was responsible for especially European affairs of the Slovak Republic. So I was also part of so-called General Affairs Council of the European Union. So I represent my country there. And except of that, I'm a father of four kids. Uh, <laughs> oldest one is 19, youngest one is one. Uh, so it's very interesting uh, uh, back home. And I'm a pilot. This is the book I brought here to Texas. I'm not sure if you can see that. Yeah. That's the book about Slovakia, which I, I did uh, during my pilot license training. So. I will be at the university tomorrow. Uh, make sure to uh, leave you one of the copies. Uh, and uh, I'm a professional fellow from State Department 2013. I spent my professional professional fellowship in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I uh, a bit know uh, what's going on here in this part of U.S. And except of that, uh, I was uh, a part of the research project with UC Berkeley. And I spent some time also in Boston area before. So... I really like uh, United States and really happy to be here uh, back again as an Eisenhower Fellow 2023. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first time in Texas? Yes, this is my first time in Texas. They asked me where to go and I said, I want to see a different America. Uh, so definitely Texas. And I'm uh, also leaving to Kansas uh. from here. So uh, I will stay a couple of days in uh, Kansas City. So it's it's very it's very new experience for me. Yeah, I, I'm from the Northeast. It was very different for me too. <laughs> so, 
I don't know where to begin because you mentioned this book about the history of Slovakia while you were training to be a pilot. Is it about pilots in Slovak history? I'm I'm thinking of, I mean, other than Stefanik, do we have a lot of other Slovak? Yeah, right. This is called Slovakia from aerial perspective. So you can find a lot of uh, pictures uh, from, uh, as I call it, heaven. Yeah, I'm very eager to history. I'm very eager to flying. So uh, together with my friend, uh, who is a doctoral student in Germany, biochemistry student, but also very eager to history. We put together this text and it's small, but uh, I believe uh, interesting book. And I'm, uh, and I brought hundreds of pieces here. So one of my suitcases out of two is full of books only. And uh, I'm uh, taking this book as, a, as an open invitation for Americans to come to visit us to Slovakia. It's a beautiful country. So oh, it, it, it truly is. I, um, I studied Czech, but I've been, I love Bratislava. It's actually my favorite airport. Uh, to fly in and out of, um, cause no one's there and it's very new and nice. Um, and I've been to the Tatras a few times. So it's, it's cool. a great country. Yeah. So I guess building off of your background, maybe we start with the most recent news. Uh, Slovakia just had rather significant elections, I think. Um, and given your background in foreign policy, I think the new government might, might represent a significant change, uh, in Slovakia's policy, uh, particularly regarding Ukraine. If you're out of politics, maybe it's safe to ask how you feel about all this. <laughs> well, it's mixed kind of feeling. Uh, it's it's not only in Slovakia. We have this kind of, uh, let's call it troubles uh, all around Central Eastern Europe, especially Hungary was a case uh, where we were all quite afraid uh, what is happening with the democracy out there. Also Poland, but luckily they had election this uh, Sunday and uh, seems to me that the opposition is uh, uh, about to win. So maybe some kind of a tension between Poland and, and Brussels uh, will uh, disappear in the end of this year. But uh, the one with Slovakia will be probably more complicated. And I'm afraid we'll, when the third, fourth time uh, elected Prime Minister Fico will start uh, with uh, doing politics as he promised uh, during the campaign that uh, he will stop, for instance, uh, help uh, to Ukraine. I mean, military help, uh, not a humanitarian one. He will uh, stop kind of uh, help uh, to uh, Ukrainian refugees at the Slovak territory. And he will focus more on China, Russia and some other countries, same way as Orban doing the last decade. That will change a lot the uh, contemporary shape of the international affairs of the Slovak Republic and European politics uh, we set up uh, during my government. Uh, so this is what I'm afraid of. On the other hand, uh, as a uh, quite experienced politician, I know that uh, campaign is something different than the reality. And let's see what uh, the reality will really bring. So I'm uh, more or less sure that one of these leaders of the new, newly created coalition, which is radical left and radical right, right uh, is uh, about to run for a president. Uh, so at least up to the European election in May time next year and presidential election March and April next year, I believe they will try to behave nice way and nothing really extreme uh, will appear. There is very extreme part of the coalition. And uh, my only question is uh, how they will behave uh, in, in this in this government. Uh, but they are taking uh, Ministry of uh, Environment, Ministry of Culture, and uh, what else? The third one, I don't really remember, but not very, sorry to say, so important uh, uh, ministries. So hopefully uh, it's also because uh, the other two uh, are afraid that uh, there will be too much damage. And just 
for our listeners who may not be up on uh, Slovak politics, Fico's party is Smer, his direction, who won, I think, 23, 4% of the vote. They have 42 seats. Hlas is the second party. And then the third problematic, that's the Slovak National Party. Am I correct? Yes, you're right. Yeah. And okay. uh, it's openly pro-Russian and pro-Slavic mm-hmm. and pro-everything. Uh, what was, uh, for many of us, uh, unbelievable uh, last uh, four years. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised too, to see, I know that Smer and Hlas had been together and then they split. And then I get over differences of some scandals around Fico um, that are still being tried through the courts right now. How did this end up for an American audience? It, some, some may be surprised to see this kind of a coalition forming. You seem surprised, but not flummoxed, perhaps. Mm. How did this come to be? Well, as a political scientist, I can tell you that splitting makes them stronger. And I expect this will happen. Because uh, they wanted to show also the human face of Smer, which was Pellegrini, previous prime minister and speaker of the parliament. And now he will be speaker of the parliament and uh, running for a president, uh, most probably. So I'm not sure if this was uh, planned or or it was just a natural uh, development of what has happened in the party, especially after 2020. But uh, at the very end of, uh, of, of the day, we have uh, two most successful parties, uh, which uh, coming from uh, same DNA. So that's why I said from the very beginning, uh, when the discussion has started last year about the early election or snap election, that believe that Pellegrini uh, uh, as this voice party, last party, will not enter coalition with Fizzo is a very romantic idea. I was 99% sure that he will. Maybe he personally is not very happy for that, but uh, 80, maybe 90% of his party and especially uh, parliamentary Caucasus uh, will never enter coalition with anybody else than, than Fitza. So this is, this is why. And uh, to your question that uh, there are some trials and, and uh, Fitza is accused uh, together with some other party members from uh, many interesting activities like a building of mafia, for instance, corruption cases, whatever. Well, let's take a look on popularity of Donald Trump here in U.S. Uh, nobody really cares about trials and the, and the problems which this is bringing to the regular life of these people. For for these people who are supporters of such a uh, political figures, it's it's a kind of a it's it's a kind of a political a professional career. And I believe uh, if you sacrifice yourself somehow to politics, uh, you have to face something like that. Otherwise, you are not a good politician. This is the way of thinking of many people in Slovakia and I guess also here in the US. What is the domestic impact of the Ukraine war? Because we've seen that the the migrant crisis, especially acutely felt by, by countries that are on Ukraine's borders, such as Poland, which has taken in a huge amount of Ukrainian refugees. What what's the impact, the the maybe perception of the costs on individual countries being higher when they're closer to the, the battlefield? And maybe the perceptions that that other partners are not paying their fair share. Mm. Does that have an impact on the domestic situation? Of course. Uh, many people ask me why I was not reelected. Uh, of course, there are many reasons why. But uh, one of the most important for my government is that uh, 
we were uh, extremely unpopular government uh, because we entered our offices uh, 21st of March 2020, two days after lockdown and the first so-called uh, COVID wave we had in Slovakia. So my first uh, visit at the ministry was not to my office, but to the crisis management meeting. And uh, I was the one who was responsible for closing borders. So, so you can imagine how unpopular a decision I have to make. If 60,000 Slovaks are commuting every day uh, from Hungary and Austria to Bratislava and back. So this creates a lot of tension at the very beginning. And uh, then the second and the third wave uh, with thousands of, of uh, COVID uh, dead people built a huge untrust uh, of, of the society to my government. Of course, there were many political decisions which were disputable. And uh, then uh, Ukrainian war has started. At the very beginning of the war, I was very proud of my nation that uh, it shows a huge solidarity. Hundreds, thousands of people uh, went immediately to the borderline and to help regular Ukrainians coming as refugees uh, during the first weeks of the war. And then the Russian propaganda machinery has started. And uh, here we are entering uh, also the reason why I'm here in U.S., because uh, my research project is about uh, misinformation, disinformation, hoaxes, propaganda. And I'm definitely sure that the result of the Slovak election is uh, heavily influenced by the Russian propaganda because Fico was the one who started, even in 2014, uh, to echo some of this propaganda, to use thousands of Russian paid trolls at the social platforms in Slovakia. And the peak of that was uh, during the COVID crisis when he was head of the anti-vaccination campaign in Slovakia. And whenever the war has started in Ukraine, he started to uh, fueling anti-Ukrainian propaganda here in Slovakia. And if you take a look, for instance, to uh, this uh, interesting research, I will bring it to you tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sure if you can see that. It's a Globsec Trends 2023. Then you will see that maybe 50... 5% of the Slovaks uh, believe that uh, somebody else started the war in Ukraine, not the Russians. This is how successful and very, very efficient is Russian propaganda in Slovakia. Working hard on the social platforms, especially Facebook, but also TikTok and uh, somehow Twitter, now X. And these oppositional politicians, especially extreme right and extreme left, heavily abuse this propaganda for their political purposes. So if somebody is really having a reason to celebrate uh, now what is happening in Slovakia, it's Vladimir Putin. That's for sure. And um, people are afraid, uh, especially in Brussels, because uh, so far uh, Viktor Orban was alone uh, with this anti-Ukrainian uh, narrative. Uh, but uh, now I'm afraid uh, there will be another country in European Union, which will help him a lot uh, to cover his back. I'm interested in this these trends and discussions among political scientists about illiberalism and the Visegrad Four in particular, because they often get lumped together mm. and not treated like individual countries. Poland and Hungary were kind of treated as in lockstep, but then as we just saw, hopefully Poland seems to have taken a different turn. Slovakia was kind of seen as the holdout for a while. And now it's like this new election, Babish was his own thing. And now you have a, a a NATO general uh, as president of the Czech Republic. How do you approach regional politics as a political scientist, particularly given that, that it's your own? Mm. Well, frankly, V4 uh, doesn't exist anymore, at least political V4. It was during our time at the ministry. We were presidential country during my stay at the ministry. And uh, it was very tough to set up the program for V4. 
because we always try to focus on uh, something what we have in common, not uh, on something what is dividing us. Uh, and that was very problematic. So the only things uh, which uh, remain from V4 are cultural educational programs. We have Visegrad uh, uh, Foundation in Bratislava, which is helping uh, students from Visegrad countries, but also from Ukraine, Moldova, uh, Georgia, and some other uh, countries to get to V4, some scholarship uh, or research projects. Uh, so this is what is somehow working. But politically, it's a dead project because uh, especially after the war in Ukraine has started, the way of thinking of Viktor Orban and uh, uh, Kaczynski was completely different. Uh, so uh, as long as Polish-Hungarian uh, uh, didn't support each other anymore, then Czechs and Slovaks were somehow happy that uh, V4 is as soft as possible because, as you mentioned, it was heavily abused as a label, especially from Hungary, that the region stick together and we have a common voice. That was simply not true last three years, uh, at least if it comes to Slovakia. Uh, then uh, Czechia, uh, after the election and uh, re and change at, at the presidential uh, palace, became completely out of of uh, of, of this scope. And uh, the same has happened uh, with uh, with Poland uh, because of the Ukraine. So there are very few things uh, which uh, we have in common now. I guess one of them is, uh, for instance, uh, support of enlargement of the European Union. So if you want to speak about Visegrad, then you can speak uh, maybe about uh, ministerial visits in uh, Western Balkan countries uh, to share our experiences uh, from negotiation process and to help our friends there to get to the EU as soon as it gets. Uh, but this doesn't work for Ukraine because Hungarian approach is different. Partly it doesn't work for Moldova. Uh, and uh, we have also uh, some troubles with uh, Georgia, where we found some Visegrad projects before, but uh, not anymore. Turning, turning back to disinformation and propaganda, we, we understand Hungary kind of has a, a pro-Russian government under Orban, and maybe we could understand why Poland is particularly resistant to Russian propaganda because of their history, uh, their historical experience under communism. But, but what are Slovakia's particular vulnerabilities in the disinformation mm -hmm. space? You said that 55% think that the Ukraine war was started by an actor other than Russia. And that's a pretty big propaganda coup uh, in a way, especially with the election of a new Russian-friendly mm -hmm. government. Yeah, we are, according to this uh, research I mentioned, uh, most vulnerable country together with Bulgaria. And uh, the reason is simple. Both countries are having kind of a Russian sentiment. The one uh, in Slovakia is coming from 19th century when uh, fathers of our nation who create, for instance, Slovak uh, language and uh, try to separate us from uh, old Hungaria as an autonomous region, they were very much uh, uh, stick on uh, Russia. And this remain in our, in our uh, collective uh, way of thinking. And uh, another reason is that uh, communist regime in uh, Slovakia was never that tough like the one in Czechia or Hungary or Poland. Uh, we were part of Czechoslovakia and always uh, been much softer during the communist time, the totalitarian regime here, than in Czechia. So even during the Prague Spring, which was uh, uh, led by uh, Slovak origin, uh, Alexander Dubček, uh, 
people were not that much critical against Russians and the so-called normalization process uh, with, in that time, uh, highest communist uh, politician against Slovak origin, Gustav Husak, was uh, much, much easier uh, than the one in Czechia. So whenever you take a look to our history, I don't know, it's kind of a Stockholm syndrome, I believe, that uh, we always love uh, Russians uh, as uh, ideal partners and friends uh, and our Slavic brothers. That's why also the propaganda works much more efficient in Slovakia than in Czechia. Uh, Although we work same state uh, and share a lot of uh, common history. And another reason is that, uh, as I mentioned, uh, very important political figures echoing Russian propaganda. This is not happening in Poland. This is not happening in, in Czechia that much. So if uh, such an important person uh, as Robert Fico or somehow also uh, Pellegrini or, or Danko, who is uh, now this leader of the Slovak National Party, are echoing Russian propaganda and, uh, and uh, make, make it even louder, then, of course, you will find uh, thousands of uh, so-called useful idiots, as they are called themselves, uh, who are helping a lot to, to spread this propaganda, this misinformation, this information. And uh, then the result is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 55%. Uh, but th- that's not only one uh, crazy figure in, in, this, in this book, which I will bring to you tomorrow. I'm also a, a Globsec fellow, so it's sometimes really crazy to, to follow uh, what is happening in our region. You can see here in these figures. And, and maybe maybe looking forward to the purpose of your of your research and the purpose of your project, does the Slovak case give any indications towards maybe uh, solving this problem or, or or ways that that propaganda and disinformation can be addressed, uh, especially in kind of fragile democracies or, or democracies where you have a large political contingent that that is uh as you could say illiberal or or maybe part of the larger this new phenomenon of, of kind of this dissident uh right movement are there are there ways that that countries can address that hmm. uh, let me share one story if it comes to dissident dissidentism <laughs> i feel like a dissident whenever i'm speaking uh, about uh, how european union is important for us how North Atlantic Treaty Organization and uh, friendship with USA is important for our security. This is becoming dissent in Slovakia. It's a huge minority people uh, who really believe so. And uh, the story is about, uh, let's take a look on Second World War. I remember communist time as a small boy in my pioneer organization. And uh, we were heavily indoctrinated how uh, our Russian brothers uh, uh, liberate us uh, from uh, Nazi Germany. And the B part uh, that they brought 40 years of totalitarian regime has been never said. No matter what, we're still celebrating uh, 8th of May and 29th of August as the most important part of our history. 8th of May is, of course, end of the Second World War. And we're always uh, focusing on a friendly uh, Red Army. Very rarely we are speaking about uh, British, French and American forces actually liberated part of Czechoslovakia too. Pity was that uh, because of the Yalta, they never get to Prague, although they have to, uh, and they will be there much quicker. And then that will change history for sure. But uh, well, this is this is the problem for next 40 years for us. <laughs> and uh, we never speak, for instance, how Americans uh, help us to win a Cold War period and tear down Iron Cartoon and bring a real freedom and uh 
this is this is what I'm missing in our uh, collective history. This is what we are not speaking about in in our in our schools. So part of my project here is also to speak about the literacy, media literacy, historical literacy, uh, which I believe is very important to understand the processes. Uh, also, if it comes to propaganda, misinformation, disinformation campaigns. And I trying to make it a little broader, also cyber literacy and AI literacy, which is becoming more and more critical now, because I'm afraid that AI should be heavily abused even more for bad guys uh, if it comes to uh, their propaganda. And not only for Slovakia, I'm a bit afraid also if it comes to US and 2024 uh, election. And, and uh, let's see what this brings to us, because... Uh, Your troubles are our problems uh, too. <laughs> it's 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 very global. So whenever I'm following what is happening now in the Congress, uh, I'm I'm quite afraid, uh, frankly speaking. So this is my project about. I'm trying to discuss uh, good practices uh, which you have here in this country. There are many. I learn about very interesting projects if it comes to media literacy. I speak to media people. I learn about very interesting projects uh, if it comes to fact-checking organizations uh, all around the U.S. So some of them we are having in Slovakia. Uh, some of them are working quite well. But uh, I also trying to bring a little more philosophical discussion here about the freedom of speech. European uh, way of thinking about freedom of speech is a different one than the American one. And uh, I'm afraid uh, American approach to the freedom of speech uh, create a lot of troubles for us if it comes to the social platforms and how social platforms are behaving. Uh, that, that only fueling uh, propaganda coming from all around, not only Russian, but also Chinese and, and many other propaganda, uh, which is uh, part of our uh, everyday life. I'm liberal, so I'm, I'm the one who is fighting for freedom of speech to my uh, last uh, uh, drop of the blood. But I don't believe that... Uh, Trolls, uh, fake profiles, AI should have the same freedom of speech as, as the humans. And also humans have to be responsible for what they are speaking about. So I don't believe that uh, hate speech is something what we have to simply tolerate, for instance. And this propaganda is heavily, heavily interconnected with the hate speech in, in our country. So we try to discuss uh, also from executive position of my government, the way of... Uh, regulating this uh, with the social platforms, but uh, not successfully. So now I'm uh, waiting for uh, European legislation, how it will be implemented. As you probably know, uh, European Commission introduced a so-called Digital Service Act. And uh, I believe that this could bring uh, some changes. Also, if it comes to the social platform behaviors, uh, but uh, uh, we need more. And I'm not sure if America is ready to, to have more. <laughs> interesting the absoluteness of freedom of speech because there are also legal grounds in the u.s um for restricting you know hate speech and the, the the famous line from supreme court ruling that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater is a limit on freedom of speech but then you can weaponize the abstractness or how ambiguous and total the the amendments are to really cover for a lot of uh nasty nasty sentiments 
but I guess that's kind of help. It's a, maybe it helps to have more um, academic connections in elected officials. That's something I feel like we don't have as much in the U.S. that uh, a political scientist such as yourself would run for office and then after leaving office go back to the academy. That doesn't feel as common in the U.S. It feels like a net benefit to me to have at least, you know, not entirely one way, not entirely the other, but some theoretical and analytical voices over uh, the din of lawyers. Yeah, it will be much easier for me to open consultancy agency now uh, that will uh, bring a much more money than to stay at a university. Well, <laughs> Slovak universities are not paying that well as an American one. <laughs> so I, I will definitely need a second uh, a side job uh, if I want to stay at a university. But uh, anyway, I, I really appreciating this uh, possibility that I, I have a chance to to. Uh, integrate my my theoretical and practical experiences uh, almost 20 years in in academic life and 10 years in in political life so really looking forward for uh feedback of my students <laughs> yeah and and maybe taking that to a, a larger level this podcast itself is kind of a public scholarship a work of public scholarship and and do you think that there's there's uh there's room or there's a there's a need for for maybe more more expertise and a more active academy with a capital A in the public sphere because we all know uh universities sometimes maybe retreat within themselves and uh and don't participate in the public spheres as as often as they should kind of leaving that ground to uh maybe media punditry or uh or inflammatory language online it is. It is. Uh, I'm not sure about the American universities, but uh, what I really miss in Slovakia is that uh, we had very nice academic discussions uh, every three months uh, in our so-called political science family in Slovakia. But uh, frankly, <laughs> they are very idealistic and it has nothing to do with uh, real politics. Uh, and what I'm trying to push uh, my colleagues and, and my students is run for an office. Try at least a city policy, then maybe regional one, and hopefully you will get also to national or international one. Why not? Uh, you have to have this experience if you if you want to understand real political science. But uh, very few of them are ready to do so. And it, of course, has something to do that uh, you are losing your privacy. It's, it's not easy to read some articles about yourself uh, and... Uh, I read uh, many nasty things about myself uh, during last uh, decade. I get used to it somehow. For my family, it's not easy still. Uh, and they're happy that I'm leaving uh, politics, at least for a while. But for my colleagues, it's it's impossible even to imagine that uh, they will have uh, even one article like that, uh, as I had uh, dozens uh, uh, last couple of years. Uh, so that's why it's very tough to persuade them to go to the politics. But Solution is easy. Uh, I'm trying to persuade my political colleagues to uh, regularly visit universities and to speak to the students, to answer their questions. Uh, uh, I guess it's a win-win policy. And then, of course, uh, whenever our ministers are building their team of advisors, I believe they have to have at least one academical person there. So this is what I'm uh, very loudly speaking about now in, in, in Slovakia. I'm ready to take part of it uh, if necessary, uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, kind of an interconnection between uh, academics and and politics uh, will be much stronger uh, next years, uh, not weaker. But uh, with uh, this coalition, uh, I'm a bit afraid uh, because uh, 
many media people, many academics uh, are simply not happy what is happening in Slovakia. So they will most probably refuse to be part of it. And you feel like that will make things worse? Yeah, unfortunately. It's kind of a vicious circle. Uh, and uh, we need to block this vicious circle in, in one moment. Uh, so no matter what, uh, I, will, I will continue in my uh, hard job to persuade these people. <laughs> we wish you the best of luck in that. Thank you. Thank maybe you. Maybe you could spread it here a little bit too. That would, that'd be nice. <laughs> I'm ready. Whenever possible, I will be happy to be back to Texas uh, or US. And uh, if I can be in any help, I'll be happy to come. Also at the university uh, and to speak to your students. Uh, if, if you like to, let's create some projects to do so. And not only with me, but also with some other interesting people from all around Europe I know now, because uh, many of my ministerial uh, colleagues uh, are as it is typical for politics, uh, coming and going, uh, leaving. Uh, and, uh, and that's why we have to use their uh, experiences at the academic uh, environment. So this is, this is why if you, if you want to have some expertise from Europe, uh, let me know. Uh, I'm uh, happy to share and I'm sure I can persuade some other colleagues uh, from all around Europe uh, to share as well. Probably this is one of the only positives uh, from uh, COVID time that uh, we have uh, such a fantastic possibility to speak this way together. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if disinformation and propaganda doesn't obey border checkpoints, then, well, maybe <laughs> we need a more global perspective on everything. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Martin Klus, thank you so much for joining us on the Slavic Connection today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. The Slavic Connection is part of the Texas Podcast Network. The conversations changing the world. Brought to you by the University of Texas at Austin. The opinions expressed in this program represent the views of the hosts and the guests and not of the University of Texas at Austin. For more information, please visit us online at slobxradio.com. Thank you. The Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies condemns the Russian Federation's military invasion of Ukraine. We stand in support of the people of Ukraine who are fighting for their lives and sovereignty in the face of the unjustified invasion by Russian military forces. I don't need to flex. I, I, I mean, I named Dr. Milan Rastis like Stefan in the interview. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, that guy. And Nick, for the record, he's the Slovak founding father who died in a plane crash. So it was, uh, it was just, yeah, I, I hope I didn't jinx anything by bringing him up. But, uh, okay, but yeah, yeah, but anyway. But no, he was really cool. I, um, I liked talking to him.